Sorry, just before I came up to speak then, my phone popped up a reminder that I was preaching this morning. I was like, well, better late than never. Um, so yeah, so a few months back, um, when we were told we were going to be working through the book of John, um, I was like, yeah, that's great. Um, one, because we're going to be going through something sort of systematically, you know, following on one, book, uh, one chapter from another and seeing how a, a story is told over a period of weeks. Um, but also because John's one of my favorite books. And, okay, we're not supposed to have favorite books of the Bible, but if I was to give you a top five, it would be John, Joshua, about showing the adventure of Israel going into the land that was promised to them, um, and the example of a leader who doesn't strive for leadership, but someone who just grows into it and uh, takes on the uh, calling that's upon him. Um, the book of Judges, mainly because it's just blood and guts the whole way through. Um, the book of James, which is a great book of practical teaching on perseverance, faith, um, minding our tongues. You know, it's, it's a really good, good book to study, um, full of wisdom for us. And um, does anyone want to guess what the last one would have been? Might begin with J. Might begin with J. <laughs> Genesis. <laughs> and that gen- these genuinely are my favourite books. I'm not just trying to get a bit of alliteration in there. Um, but the Genesis is a great book as well because it's it's just, you know another one of these books full of stories. Um, and I love listening to stories. Um, but also it's it's probably also my favourite because it's the one that I read every year. Because every year I start a Bible reading plan in Genesis. I can't tell you how many times I always get through to the end, but we always start in Genesis, so I've read it quite a lot. Um, but with the Gospel of John, one of the reasons that I love it is because it's, it's like a greatest hits album. You know, you think about it, it's, it's all just all killer and no thriller through it. Um, there's no genealogy, there's no Christmas story. Just straight at the beginning, we get Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. Um, And then we have chapter after chapter of miracles, teachings, salvation, death, resurrections. Um, And like a Greatest Hits album, it's kind of there to capture people who may not have heard something before. Um, Like You'll give someone a Greatest Hits album of their favorite band to, to try and introduce people, saying, look, these are the best bits. Now go back and look at the rest. Um, so, because it's got a purpose, um, in John chapter 20, verse 31, it tells us what the purpose of the book is. It says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus, Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the purpose of this book is just to demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ. And chapter 9 almost encapsulates that. It's, you know, it does it all in one chapter. Um, so we're going to read quite a large chunk of chapter 9 now together. Um, starting at verse 1, I'm reading from the ESV. So if it looks a bit different to what you've got in front of you, that'll be, be why. Did someone mention about the heavens opening this morning? As he passed by he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, sorry, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. 
We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now we've heard that before in John. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit in bed? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, it is he, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such good signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that he is our son and that he was born blind, but now he sees. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. We're just going to quickly skip down to verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you now. He said, Lord, I believe, and worshipped him. Now, this chapter, the timing from the previous chapter, we, it isn't explicit, um, but there is nothing to suggest that the events don't follow on straight from chapter 8. Um, in the last verses of chapter 8, we find that Jesus is having a, a bit of a barney with the Pharisees. He's accused them of being the devil's children, which is not nice. He told them that they are deaf to the message of God. They, in turn, question his uh, Jewish heritage and accuse him of having a demon inside him. Jesus then declares that he was from before Abraham, at which point everyone just loses their minds. They pick up stones and are ready to kill him. Because it's one thing to be a teacher who heals people. 
It's another to claim to be an eternal being who can give eternal life to others. But these events don't phase Jesus at all. He's got a mission to do, and a few angry people with rocks are not going to stop him. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus says that he is the light of the world, and that whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. At the start of this chapter, Jesus gives a practical lesson to what it means, um, to, to, to what this means. Here we have a man in permanent darkness, having his eyes opened and being given the gift of life. So verse 1, as he passed by. Now Jesus was on his way out of the temple, um, and on the way he passes a blind man. Now this would have been really common around the temple at this time, um, and Jesus may have even passed him on the way in. Um, later on in Acts 3, we hear about um, Peter and John healing a, a lame man. And you never know, it might have been here where they got the idea for praying to people at the temple. Um, but the, the reason why there would be peop- uh, so many beggars there was because the temple was the center of Jewish life. Um, which made it a great place for people to beg. Um, every day there were people coming and going to make offerings. Um, men taught in the courtyards. Um, there was building work going on at this time. So there would have been builders, um, craftsmen, woodworkers. Um, because Herod was trying to make the temple bigger. Um, to appease the Jews and keep the peace in the land at the time. Um, there were money lenders, food vendors, um, and offices. It was basically like the Trafford Centre, but with a shrine at the back. Um, rather than being the holiest of holies, it was the busiest of busies. And also, within Jewish um, culture, begging wasn't frowned upon um, like in other cultures at the time. You know, and even like in Britain today, we, we kind of think of beggars as, as lower than what they are. Um, and sometimes they can even be accused of being subhuman. Um, but the Jews made provision for lifting people up out of poverty and helping those that um, were needed. It was even written into the law about help to help people um, who were poorer than yourselves. So Jesus sees this man who was born blind, and he sees an opportunity for doing the work of his father. You can imagine the scene now. Jesus stops nearby, maybe has a quick look at the guy. Maybe a prayer to his father asking what needs to be done. And the disciples would have been stood around, talking amongst themselves, thinking, we're going to have to do something in a minute. And eventually a question comes. Who sinned so that this man was born blind? Him or his parents? Now the question in itself might seem a bit stupid. You know, there's a guy's been born blind. How can he have sinned? What did he do? Kick his mum in the womb after she told him to stop? But there is a bit of logic to it as well. It's, it's not completely without merit, this question, because um, we saw back in chapter 5 when Jesus prayed for the, the lame man um, and told him to pick up his mat and walk. Um, he told him that Sin no more, so that nothing worse may happen to you. Um, So it's implied that the lame man in chapter 5 may have played a part in his own affliction. 
However, here we have a man born blind. So you can understand the confusion the disciples may have had. The sin that they think may have caused his blindness can't be from his life because he was born blind. So if the sin, um, so if the sin caused his blindness, then it must have come from his parents. And basically Jesus just knocks this question straight on the head. He said, it was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. You know, sometimes bad stuff happens. Um, sometimes we just need to meet people where they're at. We have to look at their needs, their situation, and ask God what needs to happen here. In this case, the man had been born blind, and he needed to be able to see. Through meeting his needs and healing him, Jesus was going to demonstrate the power of God. And just to be clear, God didn't make this man blind. He wasn't born blind to allow Jesus to show off a miracle. It was, if I was a language expert, which I'm really not, um, that's my wife. Um, I would have been able to look at the Greek and I would have been able to use words like subjunctives and clauses and I would have been able to explain how the Greek tells you that it wasn't God that made this man blind. And if I'd given my wife 10 minutes, she could have easily explained it all. Um, but what I will say is this. If God made the man blind just to give his, chances, uh, his son a chance to show off, then that would make God a cruel God. And I don't believe in a cruel God. And I see no evidence in Scripture for a cruel God. What we see through Scripture is a loving father who is using his son and his church to demonstrate his love for the world so that people who once rejected him can return to him. F.F. Bru Bruce sums it up beautifully when he says, God overruled the disaster of the child's blindness so that when the child grew up to manhood, he might, by receiving his sight, see the glory of God in the face of Christ. And others see in this work might turn to the true light of the world. So verse 4, Jesus starts his, his teaching. He says, we must work the works of him who sent me. It would be easiest for Jesus to just restate his mission as a personal one. But here he is drawing the disciples in and through the gospel writer, drawing us in and laying down a challenge that we're to share in the work of the Father. Jesus' mission was never a one-man superhero mission to do everything himself. His life and death and resurrection were there to teach us and empower us to continue the work after he had ascended to heaven. So now we get to see the gospel in action. The man meets Jesus. He has no idea who Jesus is or what he's about to do. He knows that there are some people who have taken interest in, and it sounds like someone's just spat on the floor. He has mud plastered over his face and told to go to the pool of Siloam and have a wash. This miraculous healing is a picture of the gospel in itself. The man meets a Jesus, he's obedient to him, and then receives life. And I say life because it's not just his sight that he receives in these circumstances. In Jewish tradition, there were two illnesses that were considered to be equal to death or used as pictures of death. One was leprosy, and the other was blindness. And this man being blind from birth 
meant that he had never lived. By giving this man his sight, Jesus was giving him life. The man would no longer have to beg for money, rely on others for his food or his clothes. He could get a job. He could get married. He could start a family. Some of these things would have been impossible for him whilst he was blind, particularly in a culture of arranged marriages. Who would want to marry a blind man? Now he could finally live. Now, John now goes on to expand the gospel message, fleshing it out through the encounter the man has with his neighbors, the Pharisees, and again later on in his meeting with Jesus. Following his encounter with Jesus, people notice a difference in the man. Some people were so shocked by the transformation in his life that they questioned whether he was even the same person. People that had known him his whole life couldn't believe that it was the same man. In verse, in verse 10, he is challenged, and all he can do is respond with his experience. The man called Jesus made mud, and he anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Very simple. In the same answer that many of us would, have, many of us would give, to ex it's the same answer many of us would give to experiencing the power of God in our lives, Jesus did this. I don't know how, but he did. This ex-beggar has now just become an evangelist. Because of the transformation Jesus has done in his life, people are coming to him to find out what has happened to him and who did it. They even start bringing others to hear the story. And unfortunately for this man, it brings trouble because they bring the Pharisees. Now, we know from the previous chapter that the Pharisees are not in the best moods with Jesus. And within this man, they see a target. They see something of Jesus in him, and they don't like it. Straight away, they start to attack him, trying to get him to crumble. They question the legitimacy of his salvation by saying that because Jesus made mud on the Sabbath, he cannot be from God. The Pharisees had form in this type of argument before. Again, looking back to chapter 5, they charged both the lame man and Jesus um, for doing works on the Sabbath. The lame man they accused of carrying his mat, and Jesus they accused of healing, which is quite a fair accusation because he did heal the guy. Um, and then like now, John is trying to show us that man-made laws that had been added to laws given by God were more of a hindrance than a help. I do sometimes feel a little bit sorry for the Pharisees, not too much. Um, because their intention was to do the right thing. They were trying to create a barrier between the people and sin by putting so many laws in place that it was impossible to sin. Um, but what they ended up doing was actually creating a, a, a religion of man-made self-righteousness. And they blinded themselves to what God was supposed to be doing in their lives. But thankfully, this argument didn't hold up amongst the people that were um, around at the time, with it being pointed out that a sinner couldn't do this type of miracle. So next, the Pharisees attacked the man's integrity. In verse 22, 
we find out that the Pharisees had the power to ban people from the synagogue. And this would have brought shame on the man, his family. Um, they would have lost many of his newfound benefits of receiving his sight. Because all the things that he could now do, he would be hindered from. He wouldn't be able to go to temple. He wouldn't be able to be part of that community anymore. Um, and who would want to associate with someone that's been excommunicated? He had been given a life, and depending on how he answered this next question, that life could be taken away again. Well, they could try and take it away again. And again, it's a question that many of us are asked in our jobs, in school, um, on our street to our neighbours. It's, you know, who do you say Jesus is? In my opinion, he actually gives a really good answer. Um, some of the commentators were saying it was a bit of a cop-out answer. Um, but I think it's, it, he's, what he's done is he's given an answer based from his revelation of Jesus at that point. He says, Jesus is a prophet. And he's not wrong. Let's just quickly look at 2 Kings 5, verse 8 to 10. Um, the background to this story is that there's um, a man called Naaman, who's the commander of the army of the king of Syria, and he's got leprosy. The king of Israel has sent Naaman to um, Elisha because he's scared that if Naaman isn't healed, Syria are going to start a war with Israel. And it says this, But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, and sent him to the king, saying why, um, saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. So we can see why this man might have thought of Jesus as a prophet. He sent him to water to be healed. He could be linking Jesus to the line of prophets that included Elijah and Elisha. And the other thing that I like about this statement is that he thinks Jesus could be a prophet in this story um, because Jesus has done in the physical what prophets are called to do in the spiritual. When David was a young shepherd boy, he met a prophet called Samuel. And Samuel opened David's eyes to who he was to become. David saw a shepherd. God saw a king. Later in David's life, God sent the prophet Nathan to open David's eyes to the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba and how much it displeased the Lord. So in the physical, Jesus had opened this man's eyes, just like a prophet opens our eyes to what God is doing around us. Next, in verse 19, the Pharisees attack the man's parents, challenging whether he was really blind in the first place. First of all, they confirm that he is their son, which is quite nice of them, and that he was, in fact, blind from birth, but also that he's old enough to speak for himself. Thank you very much. They are basically doing a runner. They're abandoning their son to defend himself. Um, because he was old enough to defend himself, so that meant he must have been at least 13. That's, that's the age of manhood, and people are allowed to consider themselves um, old enough to defend themselves. So if you think at this time that he was just 13, 
as a 13-year-old boy, he could have potentially been abandoned by his parents to a whole bunch of Pharisees who all would have been older people around him. That could have been very, very scary for him. Um, and we've all got a decision to make when we're presented with the gospel. The parents of the former blind man at this point had not personally met Jesus. They had chosen to abandon him rather than ex risking expulsion from the synagogue. And we all know people who have heard our stories, seen the difference that Jesus has made in our lives, and chosen to cling to the, the life that they know rather than the new life that we've been given. They could have sought out Jesus. They could have found the one who had done the transformation. But unfortunately, John doesn't give us this happy ending for this man and his family. Eventually, the Pharisees have had enough of the man and cast him out of their presence. They remain willfully blind, not just to the healing that, not to the healing that has happened, because there's too much evidence to deny that. Instead, like little children, they scrunch up their eyes and refuse to see who the Jesus is and what authority he has. And then finally, um, in this chapter, we have G this man's second encounter with Jesus. Verse 35, it says, When they had heard that they had thrown him out, when they, sorry, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when they found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said, Now that you have seen him, in fact, you are the one, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and worship him. Yet again, the, Jesus finds the man where he's at. At the beginning of the passage, he reveals to the man his power and authority and the authority he has to use it. Now he opens the man's eyes to his identity. He's not just a prophet. He is the son of God. In contrast from the lame man at the pool who walked off with his mat after he was healed, this man cannot help but worship him. Not just for what Jesus has done in his life, but for who he is. For who he is. Every encounter we have with Jesus brings a fresh revelation of him. And this morning, I just want to encourage us to, to just think about what your revelation of Jesus is. Go back through the book of John and see what is revealed about him. And just worship him for who he is. Worship him for being the Son of God. Worship him for being Jesus, our Savior. Amen.